You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Verizon Communications Senior Vice President of Media Relations Eric Rabe goes on the record online. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, uh, you know IP technology is going to be the way television will be delivered in the future. Uh, Verizon certainly recognizes that. We're experimenting with a variety of that uh, technologies in that area and ways of doing that. And welcome to another episode of On the Record Online. If you're a regular listener of the show, thanks for coming back. If this is your first time tuning in, we do one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers, and we talk primarily about how new media technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. We help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives. I am also personally and professionally fascinated at how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Eric Rabe. He is the Senior Vice President of Media Relations at Verizon Communications. The interview runs around 20 minutes, um, and we are going to discuss Fios, uh, which is a service that they've recently offered, as well as um, how the uh, telecom business is changing. If this is your first time listening to the show uh, and you're streaming it and you want to subscribe, you can do that by going to www.ontherecordpodcast.com. And when you get there, there'll be a series of badges and you can subscribe to the program through iTunes, Yahoo Podcasts, Odeo, Podcast Alley, and a number of other popular podcast aggregators. Um, It doesn't cost any money to subscribe. It's free. And if all this sounds a little baffling to you, there's a tutorial there um, about podcasting. You can click on that and subscribe to the program. What that means is that each time there's a new show uploaded to the server, you'll automatically receive it. So now, uh, without any more introduction, we are going to play for you the interview with Eric Rabe after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Eric Rabe is Senior Vice President of Media Relations at Verizon Communications. Uh, He handles and oversees news media relations. He's been there for 16 years. Prior to that, he was a reporter and anchor with the CBS-owned and operated WCAU-TV. We are here at the Media Relations 2006 conference, and I am um, happy to have him with me. Great to be here. Thanks. So, obviously, there's a lot of changes in the communications business now. Uh, We see services uh, that offer voice over internet protocol like Skype and, and other companies where as long as you can get onto the network, you can pretty much talk to anybody anywhere in the world. Um, what direction do you see Verizon Communications moving uh, in order to continue its um, arc in, in profitability mm-hmm. and, and sustainability? 
Well, clearly Verizon is moving from the traditional telephone company that we used to be 10, 20 years ago to a broadband service company. And that, I would argue, is what we do today, although we certainly have a very large uh, base of the traditional wired telephones, which still serve a very useful and good purpose at a very great price. And people don't spend a lot of money for them, and, um, and they work extremely well. I would argue they probably are the best technology for point-to-point -point voice communications. Uh, but, as you point out, there are many other ways to do this now, and I would expand beyond Internet Protocol phones to uh, email, for example, replaces the function that 15, 20, 30 years ago people would have done with a telephone. So if somebody sends email messages today, those are uh, minutes of phone use that don't happen, uh, and we are completely aware of that. And so. Uh, for us, the, uh, the game is to move the company from being that telephone provider to being a provider of broadband uh, connectivity and, of course, now global networks. Uh, we, as you are no doubt aware, recently bought MCI and have incorporated that into the company so that Verizon now operates in 140 countries around the world and uh, provides very sophisticated, the most sophisticated kinds of data communications uh, at a very uh, high level of reliability and security. Now, um, you guys are, are testing a service called Fios, correct? Well, we're more than testing it. We have uh, that service available to 3 million customers today, and we have 3 million more that we'll make it available to this year. We're, I, th uh, I thought it was only in certain states. It's widely yeah. available now. Well, it's, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's available in 16, 17 states at this point. We're building that system as fast as you can build it. It's uh, fairly complex to, to build because we are taking... What is, what is taking, Fios? Well... It, it's a fiber optic based system. So instead of uh, carrying information in the conventional way uh, using analog circuits on copper wires, this uses digital technology on fiber optics. Uh, and uniquely, Verizon is deploying the fiber all the way to the customer. So from our office to the customer is now fiber. That it allows tremendous bandwidth. You can uh, easily do 100 megabits on fiber. Uh, it's capable of a gigabit. Uh, right now, the most we're selling is a 30 megabit service because that's so much larger than what anybody else consistently sells that uh, we don't think there's a market yet for the faster services. But that's coming, and uh, and we'll be in a position with this network to offer that technology. You know, speeds are are often in the eye of the beholder, I think, on the Internet, and people get very excited about uh, the difference between 5 megabits and 6 megabits and, you know, which company has the faster service. But the reality is, from the customer experience, you know, the choke points on the, on the Internet are the servers and how busy they are and what their capacity is, and the links over the Internet backbone, which... Um, you know, depend upon how many people are sending data at that particular instant over that particular connection. And all of those are likely to be more restrictive than the connection between Verizon and the customer, even today using DSL, which typically does 3 megabits in our network, uh, certainly using fiber, which typically does 15 megabits. Uh, we're far faster than the next link of the chain. So we think we've provided a service that uh, more than meets the needs of customers today, but we have the technology uh, at our disposal. If people need faster service, we can do that. Here in the continental U.S., uh, if, if we rank our, uh, the speed of our access against other nations, I know we, we're not particularly high on the, on the, on the ladder there. Well, Why is that, and is Fios the answer, at least from Verizon's standpoint, yeah. to giving us faster access? Well, 
let me go back in history a little bit. You know, when uh, it was first discovered by consumers that there was a point to having a data connection, which was only 20 years ago, maybe at most, maybe 15 years ago. Um, fortunately, we had a network in place that could provide that for them. And it was what's now referred to quite dismissively as old dial-up, but that network was in place. In many places in the world, that was not an option. Um, and so people began to build other networks and, of course, leapfrog that technology, which we are now doing ourselves. Uh, but the problem of offering a um, high-speed uh, service in a single city or two, such as Korea does, for example, 85% of the Korean population is just in three cities in that country. Well, we could wire three cities for 100 megabit service today, and that would be fairly uh, doable. But unfortunately, we have a country of you know, 300 million people and many more than uh, three cities to worry about. So the task in front of us is much larger. And yet, you know, the number of hands you can put on the project, the number of streets you can dig up, the number of uh, miles of fiber you can buy from the providers, the number of boxes that you can get your hands on to put on the ends of this is a finite number. So necessarily, it takes longer. And people always make the comparison you made based on percentage of penetration of the market. But if you made the comparison based on something more rational, like, for example, the number of fiber miles in place, the United States is a clear leader in that area. So the issue is that it's the rule of large numbers, essentially. You know, the reason uh, people can cite Korea and say, well, they've got this tremendous penetration of bandwidth, and why doesn't the U.S. have that? The reason that's the case is because it's a much smaller place with a much denser population and a much easier telecommunications deployment problem to solve. Well, given the practical channel, the practical challenges of laying all that fiber, uh, is Wi-Fi uh, maybe a good way to get it's, broadband to the public? Let me just step back. It's not sure. just fiber. It's DSL. You know, DSL, you can do extremely high speeds if you're only doing them for a few hundred yards. In the United States, that's not the way people live. But it is in Hong Kong. So in Hong Kong, you can do very high-speed DSL, and they're doing it today. And people call me up and say, geez, Verizon, why aren't you doing, you know, video over DSL? Well, the reason is because we have DSL run lengths that go in the miles, whereas Hong Kong, they, they go a few thousand yards or a few hundred yards. Do you think Wi-Fi is an alternative? Is it a, is it a realistic alternative? It's not alternative? today, I and don't if, think. Why isn't it? Well, Wi-Fi, okay, well, there are a number of issues around Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is a technology which um, it, it, people are trying to force fit into to doing what they really want to do, which is be able to communicate across a large uh, geography uh, without having to connect and disconnect. Right now, Wi-Fi typically is deployed in hotspots, as everybody knows, and you know, if you're sitting in that coffee shop or in that park, it works fine. In fact, it works very well. It's an ideal technology, I would say, for use in a home. But it's not a particularly good technology if the challenge you're trying to solve is to connect me while I'm mobile in New York City, you know, in a taxi cab. Uh, it just doesn't work. And even with mesh networks that people are dreaming up now, um, you know, that technology has to be, to be proven. A number of cities around the country are, are trying to deploy that sort of technology, and we'll see how they do. Uh, but uh, we think there are better technologies. EVDO is the technology that we have deployed uh, in uh, 100 cities across the U.S. now um, to provide a wireless Internet access capability. It works very well. Uh, I was using it here in this hotel this morning, uh, working at probably uh, a little less than a megabit, and um, 
you know, it was like being in the office, the experience that I had doing my email and, uh, and serving a couple of websites that I needed to look at. So now, there's been a, a good deal of controversy over free municipal Wi-Fi service. And when I was preparing yeah. for this interview, I Googled your name, and you're <laughs> at the center of it. It came up so a lot. So what, what I'd like you to do is walk okay. us through both sides of yeah. the debate. What are the issues, well, and what is, what is at stake? You know, there's nobody that doesn't love the idea of being able to get free access to the Internet any place uh, on the back of uh, a government network. Uh, that certainly appeals to me. Uh, the reality is uh, this technology is not free, and somebody ends up paying for it. So the question then becomes, as a public policy matter, do I as a taxpayer want to pay uh, for, a, for a network that I may never use? Is there some other way to finance it? Philadelphia, for example, thinks they can get uh, philanthropy to pay for some of this. Um, and then, is the network superior to what's otherwise available to at a better cost? So um, I, I challenge the first issue. I'm not sure how, how you get this financed, but if you can come up with some creative way to, to pay for it, um, that's, that's great. Maybe advertising. I mean, this seems to be the, the approach in San Francisco. It looks like they're going to try to go with a, a system that's based on advertising. And I'm not sure I really want to sit through an ad every time I do something on the network, but maybe some people will find that to be an acceptable way to go. Um, the reality is, though, that we have DSL available very widely in all the cities that Verizon serves at a rate of fourteen ninety-five a month. So that's pretty reasonable. Uh, I think it's certainly affordable for most people. And if the issue you're trying to solve is affordability of Internet connections, I think there are many ways to do it that are more efficient than having a, the government go out and try to build a, a telecommunications network. But... Our position on this, from Verizon's point of view, is uh, if a city and the taxpayers and constituents of the mayor and the council all agree that this is a good thing to do, um, you know, go do it. And we will compete uh, for that service as we compete for all the other services that are already in the marketplace. You know, there's not a city where we don't compete with a local cable company for this kind of service. And uh, there are many other providers uh, as well. So... You know, the market is quite competitive now. One more competitor, one way or the other, I don't think probably is going to make too much difference. And if the city decides that they're going to subsidize this, then I think that that's a political problem or a political question, I should say, that needs to be decided with the taxpayers. Well, what are the advantages of it? If they, if they did do it, what would the advantages be? Well, I'm not sure there are a lot of advantages because there are plenty of opportunities uh, to connect uh, using other technologies and other, other routes. Uh, I think the proponents would probably argue that, uh, um, you know, this is either good for economic development, that is, you know, we can market our city as a wired city. There may be something to that, I don't know, but if you take Philadelphia, the most famous example of this, Philadelphia now has uh, three broadband networks that operate throughout the city, uh, two of them provided by Verizon, one of them provided by Comcast, they're available to everybody, uh, essentially, in the entire city today. So it's hard to see how the government adding a, a network to that mix makes Philadelphia more wired than it would be otherwise. Uh, if the issue is, is uh, serving the poor, um, you know, I think I've just made the case that there are better ways to, to provide a Internet access to, uh, to people uh, in economic need than having the government provide it. And indeed, I think that 
the government providing such a network does not solve that problem. You still have issues of getting computers in people's hands, of course, but even more fundamentally, of uh, fundamental literacy issues. So, yeah, I mean, it's a lot you've got to solve if you're going to really make uh, the Internet a useful tool for, for people in the worst uh, economic situations. Um, and I think, frankly, uh, the Wi-Fi solution for that problem has gotten to be kind of a dodge that politicians can use to appear to be doing something that doesn't really solve the problem. But, again, I make the point, if, if governments decide they want to go into this business, uh, there's nothing stopping them. Certainly Verizon's not stopping them, and uh, we'll happily compete with them. And I think, frankly, the quality of our service and the price we offer it uh, will, will be effective in the marketplace. So appearing recently on Shootout, uh, the program, television program hosted by Variety Editor-in-Chief Peter Bart and film producer Peter Gruber, uh, Terry Semmel, the CEO of Yahoo, uh, was talking about how uh, Yahoo, in partnership with uh, telecom companies like yours, mm -hmm. uh, may ultimately pose a challenge to the networks um, and, the, and the studios in that no. there, may, there may come a day when you guys are actually financing the content. Um, tell us a little bit about the partnership with Yahoo and what the, the long-term strategy behind that union is. Well, we do work with Yahoo now uh, in marketing our DSL service and providing Yahoo as, a, as an option for the, uh, the home page, if you will, of, of our subscribers. Uh, we actually do this with a couple of companies, uh, MSN being the, the other prominent one. Um, you know, we, we see it as a way to, to give customers additional choices and options uh, if they choose Verizon online that they wouldn't get elsewhere, and we think that's a, a good way to go. Certainly Yahoo is a, a big brand in this space, and they do a terrific job of, uh, of providing content. Getting to the television point, um, you know, I think we're some time away from the vision that uh, you were talking about, but uh, there's no doubt in my mind that... Uh, uh, you know, IP technology is going to be the way television will be delivered in the future. Uh, Verizon certainly recognizes that. We're experimenting with a variety of, that, of technologies in that area and ways of doing that. We, of course, have our own digital television service that we are offering using a more conventional technology today, but it is designed with the idea that IP may be the, the transmission uh, protocol of the future, and uh, we're able to switch over to that. In fact, we actually use IP right now for delivering our on-demand content. So, um, you know, we're in that game. Uh, we're obviously watching it uh, as it evolves, um, and we're certainly watching the work of a million small companies that are out there experimenting in that space and, uh, you know, talking to many of them. So, um, you know, I think Verizon is a well-positioned to be a leader in, in that developing world. So um, another hot news item of the day is uh, net neutrality and the proposal that was recently defeated on the Hill. If you would, explain to us, for, for those of us outside of telecom, for those of us general business listeners who really don't understand what this is, paint a picture of the issue and explain both sides of This uh, is the a debate. tough one because I'm not sure I can, I, I don't think I can give you a definition of net neutrality and I furthermore don't think anybody who's out there talking about it can give you a definition of is it. it. Is it pork? It's, I mean, it's it, no, I don't think it's pork. I think what's what's going on here is a, a classic sort of um, uh, Washington game of trying to get the government to give me, you know, an advantage over my competitor. And the way this is working is um, uh, 
some sides on the issue are are making an argument that net neutrality is important. We must not have these large companies in a position to uh, erect toll booths on the internet, uh, which they describe as somehow charging people for something. It's not quite clear what they're talking about. Um, and, uh, and therefore, we need government regulation. And that regulation should be on the big phone companies, uh, you know, who should be forced to do certain kinds of things. And this is being proposed by people who, who um, want to compete, frankly, with companies like ours, and they'd like to see us tied up with additional regulations that they don't have. But if you dig down and say, well, what problem are we really trying to solve here? That's where it gets mysterious. Um, you know, we at Verizon, and I think every responsible company in this field, uh, is, is committed to the idea that any customer should be able to go on the Internet, they should be able to access the websites that they want to access, that there should be no picking and choosing of, uh, you know, blocking sites or anything of that kind. Uh, and we've, we've completely endorsed that. The FCC has said that's the policy of the land. Um, so that is not the problem. Whatever the problem may be, it's not that. Um, we believe that if a customer buys a service from us, they should understand what that service is and they should get what they're paying for. So if somebody wants a DSL connection at 768 kilobits or 3 megabits, they ought to understand the rules around how we're going to provide that to them and, and their expectations should be met. We do that today, no problem. If you're a business customer, a provider of service on the Internet, we believe you should be able to get what you pay for there too. And obviously those customers also buy services from us to connect their servers to the, to the Internet. Um, and, and we do that without playing favorites. Uh, anybody who wants that has access to the same suite of services as anybody else. Now, it's not to say that a company like Google, for example, can't come to us and buy uh, bigger pipes than other people buy. We sell a variety of speeds for folks. We sell that on the consumer side, too. A consumer can buy, as I just said, a 768 kilobit connection or a 3 megabit connection or a 5 or a 15 megabit connection. And that's their choice to buy whichever of those. We think that's completely in bounds. And, and I don't think anybody is seriously suggesting that we shouldn't be able to sell different speeds at different prices to customers who want those, those options. Uh, so um, that's not the problem we're trying to solve, apparently. So what is the problem we're trying to solve? I don't know. It's a bit mysterious. I've heard uh, it, it described as um, the idea of dumb networks versus smart, smart networks. Well, if the idea is that Verizon should only be able to sell a pipe and not be able to sell services um, on the network, if that's the postulation, then obviously we reject that as being not only bad for Verizon, of course, bad for our customers who would have one fewer option, bad for the customers who aren't even interested in that option but whose prices would be subsidized by that extra service. But I'm having a tough time making the leap. The only thing I've been told, and I don't know if this is true or not, I've read about it on the internet, that uh, the issue involves trying to relegate the type of information uh, that's transferred over the network and well, perhaps charge different amounts I, for different types. It's hard to understand of, how, that, that, true? how I mean, that happens. I don't think that happens today. We have no plans to make that happen and I'm not sure how you would actually even do that in the future. You know, but Verizon should be able to use the fiber network that we're building today to deliver, of course, the Internet service to customers and to deliver our own television service over that, that facility. Now, if Google wants to get into the television business, or let's drop Google, let's say the XYZ company wants to get into TV and they want to have their television delivered over the, quote, public Internet, 
uh, you know, they have some real challenges. The backbone of the Internet has a limited capacity. It's not quite clear that that capacity would be able to meet the needs of somebody delivering a television service. What happens today is because that capacity is limited, the uh, videos uh, are typically buffered at the user's computer. So the information starts coming down, but it's not displayed on the computer until there's enough of it that uh, interruptions in the transmission won't be apparent to the person viewing. Uh, that's one technique for getting around the problem. But if the idea is that I want, as the XYZ company uh, providing video, that I want to be able to uh, ride on Verizon's cable TV network, that's a different question. That's entirely possible, though, because what we would do in that case is go to the XYZ company and say, okay, uh, we have channels on our cable TV system that we could make available to you if you'd like to buy them, and you'd be one of the selections that people would get um, on television. I don't know of anybody who's actually proposed that or is doing it, but I'm speaking hypothetically about what could happen in the future. So. Again, I'm not quite sure I see the problem here. The postulation is that somehow or another, I as the XYZ video provider would not be able to get my video signal to a customer because the ABC video provider, I don't mean the network, would be, uh, be getting some special deal from Verizon. I don't see why that's a good thing for us as a business uh, because obviously what it would mean is we'd be offering something exclusively to one customer, another customer we couldn't sell it to. That, that doesn't seem to make much sense. It seems to us that the customer ought to make this choice. So if the customer wants real high speed, they buy a 30 megabit connection from us. If they don't care, they buy a slower uh, con connection and they get what that service at their choice. So for those of us who are still sort of grappling with this, you know, we're on the exterior, we read a, an occasional story about it in the newspaper, we obviously don't understand it nearly as well as you do. One thing that's a little confusing, at least to me, is on one hand, you guys are partnered with Yahoo, and okay. then on the other hand, Yahoo was supporting with um, yeah, we wish they Amazon and eBay and Google and Microsoft an amendment, a, a, a yeah, Democratic-led amendment to net neutrality, which was defeated. Uh, how can they be both a partner and <laughs> well, a competitor? I don't get I mean, it. In our, in our industry, there are a thousand examples of people who are you know, big competitors and big partners in different places. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, nothing personal. You know, it's all business. And, uh, you know, goodness, the, uh, uh, I mean, you can name almost any company, and we probably do something with them, and we probably uh, uh, disagree with them on some issues and, uh, and argue. So that's nothing unique there. Um, so, you know, we have a lot of respect for all of these companies, uh, Yahoo, Google, MSN. We don't necessarily agree with them on all public policy issues, though that's certainly true. And moving forward, um, what are your predictions for the media universe in the next 10 years? What, what are some of the changes you predict um, consumers will be f faced with when they want to get their media? I think the big issue for consumers is sorting through what's available. And there are a number of companies that are out there trying to make major inroads in this, and certainly Google is a leader. Uh, so is Yahoo. Uh, I think that is is the challenge, and of course, it's not just a matter of finding it and choosing, you know, stories to read or videos to watch, but it's also the issue of um, credibility and reliability. You know, until now, uh, people have been able to make a choice that they believe the New York Times, better or worse, whatever you think of the New York Times, there are certain readers out there who believe that that is a very credible publication, they do a good job, it's honest, and they can count on it. 
so they know to buy the New York Times. That is a much more difficult calculation to make in the Internet world. And I think uh, because uh, there is a certain amount of um, uh, questionable information that's easily available, readily available on the web, uh, that the consumers need a way to sort through that. I think somebody will emerge who will help do that. I don't think it's quite happened yet. But uh, it seems to me that's the, the big hurdle to, to clear. Uh, and, of course, then the other hurdle from the other side of the problem is who's going to pay for this and how it's going to work. Um, there must be a mechanism that provides uh, some kind of value to the people who are producing the content. Um, the copyright issues are a problem there. The Internet uh, tradition of all access being you know, at somebody else's expense, not the consumer's, is another problem. And I think the uh, news industry right now is struggling with how to, how to frankly, get paid for providing the service and the information that they provide. And I don't think that anybody's really cracked that nut yet. So that's the other piece. And just as a final question, as the executive in charge of communications for a major telecom company and with 16 years experience in the business, what advice do you have for other companies, uh, other marketing executives, other communications executives um, for moving forward the best way to, to get the job done and to get the message out? Well, that build-up, this better be good. I guess I would say, uh, you know, at, at, fundamental, at the fundamental base, I think there has to be a clear understanding of what you're trying to communicate. You know, what do I want this company to stand for? What messages, you know, help me deliver that, um, that big idea? And then do that with honesty and integrity everywhere you can. And in this day and age, that's a lot of places. Eric Rabe, thanks for coming by and doing this. I appreciate I it. I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.